Thank you for listening to the Highlander Podcast, where we have conversations about the past, present, and future of the outdoor industry. Thanks to Utah State University's Outdoor Product Design and Development Program for making it possible and for training the future product leaders of the outdoor industry. Learn more about the program at opdd.usu.edu. The Highlander Podcast is sponsored by the Outdoor Recreation Archive, a collaboration between OPDD and USU Special Collections to preserve the history and print materials of the people, products, and brands of the outdoor industry. Follow the archive at Outdoor Rec Archive on Instagram. The Highlander Podcast is sponsored by the Utah Outdoor Association, a business association focused on elevating Utah's outdoor industry through educational programming and events. Their membership consists of Utah's outdoor manufacturers, retailers, outfitters, and guides. Member benefits include networking opportunities, recruitment of talent, and brand promotion. More information about volunteering and membership is available at utahoutdoor.org. On this episode, Amy Vo, at the time of recording a senior recruiter at Decker's Brands, now at Nike, talks with students about the do's and don'ts of applying for positions in product creation and peels back the curtain on the hiring process. Well, thank you for the invite, Chase. Um, I'm really excited to chat with everyone today. Um, we'll make it this more of a conversation. So I'll pause, you know, throughout the the presentation slash conversation so that if anyone has questions, I'd love to have you jump in, ask those questions, because I'm sure that your fellow classmates are thinking the same thing. Um, today, I'll go through a couple of things. I'll talk about Decker's brands. I'll talk about recruiting at Decker's. Um, and then I'll talk about like what makes you stand out in the recruitment process. Um, and I'll, I guess I'll dive into like what to look what we look for in resumes, portfolios, um, how to connect with us, um, and then leave some room at the end for any questions that you have. Um, I'll just introduce myself so that you know that I'm a legit human being over here. Um, I'm Amy Vo. I've been in the footwear industry for about 10 years now. Um, my degrees were actually in business and strategy, and I kind of, I don't know, I think every recruiter just kind of lands in recruiting, but it's been such a great journey um, as I've you know, um, gone from one, I guess, one business to another and just really learn what the footwear industry entails. Um, I started in the industry as an agency recruiter working on site at Nike, um, recruiting for product design, product development, marketing, um, amongst other positions. And then from there, I went over to Adidas. Um, I was there for almost, I guess, seven years as a creative recruiter. Um, and I, during that time, I was able to spend about two years working as a project manager um, on the Kanye West and Adidas collaboration. So I have a little bit of a background in project management, but um, most of my majority of my background is in recruitment. Um, and then I left about a year ago and joined Decker's Brands um, as a, a recruiting manager, but managing a small team. But also I recruit right now for product creation. Um, and that for us is product design, product development, um, product line ma management. And amongst that, I do work on a couple of other creative type roles. Um, but when they brought me in, it was more to recruit on the Hoka brand. So I've been spending most of my time um, building out that brand. So what, who is Decker's brand? So I kind of wanted to start off by this. Um, I'm sure that, as Chase said, you might not know Decker's brands. Um, we are a parent company to five of the brands that some of you might have seen or know or are interested in. Um, so I'll talk a little bit about this. Um, we are a brand that is a global leader in designing, um, marketing, and distributing innovative footwear. Um, we are moving into apparel and accessories right now. Um, we are both on the casual lifestyle side, but also on high performance. So it's kind of a great little portfolio of brands. Um, it's really fun to kind of bounce back and forth between like an UGG, you know, position versus a Hoka position. They're very similar, but also very different at the same time. So, um, so I guess um, some of you might be familiar with these brands too, in terms of like, I don't know, I feel like during COVID UGG has done 
pretty well in in the market. Um, a lot, a lot of people have like gravitated towards UGG for like wearing around the house during these times. Um, we've noticed that Teva, you know, has definitely done a lot. I, I guess like people always think of Teva as like sandals, but like in the last year, people have definitely gravitated towards their hiking boots. Um, and then Hoka has just really penetrated the running market um, in the last couple of years. Um, and we have definitely extended into more road running, um, more like casual wear too. Um, Decker's brands products are sold in more than 50 countries. We do have um, our company owned retail stores, but most of our products have been sold, sold in select department and specialty stores. Um, we also sell most of our products online now with COVID. Um, in terms of Deckers as a brand, we are 40 years old, located in Santa Barbara. Deckers um, is pretty much first large brand that they purchased was UGG in 1995. And then we moved to getting Teva and then Sanook, Hoka in 2012, and then Kulabara. I want to say in 2015. Um, and then in present day, we have about 3,500 employees worldwide. About a third of them are uh, retail workers. Um, and then um, in terms of our corporate office in, in Santa Barbara, I think we have like about eight to 900 people there. Um, the majority of the corporate um, employees do work remotely. I'm remote from Portland. Um, I have a lot of colleagues across um, the, I guess the U S. So, um, we, I guess some of our bigger populations do live in Santa Barbara, Los Angeles, New York. Um, Portland has become quite a hub up here. I think we have like 25 employees. Um, and then there are a couple people in Colorado too. So, um, I guess moving into recruitment at Decker's, um, as many of you probably know, right now with recruitment, we're at an all-time high. Um, I'm sure people have heard what, I guess the term is the great resignation. Um, if anyone hasn't heard that term, definitely like Google it. It's, it's like the term of the year right now. It's kind of, I guess the best way to describe it is when stress and burnout um, and isolation has really caused people to really like rethink what they're willing to tolerate at work um, is the, kind of the best way to put it. Um, and employees are looking elsewhere. Um, they're looking and resigning voluntarily from, um, from their current positions. And it's become this like economic trend. Um, and I like, I don't know, I, this will date me a little bit, but when I was in econ, like we were talking about something similar to this, but I, have I'm kind of a econ nerd and I have done quite a bit of research on this and it's become like the probably going to be one of the most popular like trends within the econ like world um because of how the this market will change the way that things will kind of evolve in terms of the economics of I mean mostly the U.S. but globally um but in terms of recruitment, so I'll bring it back to recruiting and how Deckers is dealing with it, which is a lot of people in the market right now. Um, I think when recruiters are talking to students, like we think it's probably the most important time than ever to really prepare yourself for you know this really crazy market of like a lot of people, a lot of jobs open um, when you're applying to internships and entry level roles when you you know are graduating. So. So I'm here and I want to spend a little bit of time talking about how you can stand out in the recruitment process. Um, so in terms of, oops, I guess I skipped a slide here, but tells you a little bit about Deckers. This is our headquarters in Santa Barbara. Um, present day, we have 3,500 employees worldwide. Um, third of that population being our retail employees. And then in terms of, <clears throat> excuse me, um, so First, we'll talk about the recruitment process itself. Um, but before I go there, does anyone have any questions about um, Deckers as a brand before I dive into recruiting? And I can only see like five of you, so <laughs> feel free to take yourself off mute and, and let me know. But um, 
like trying to figure out how I can, we obviously don't use the Zoom at Deckers because I now can see six of you instead of five. <laughs> I, have a, I have a question. When it comes to like the amount of time spent during the day that you're like connecting with other employees who are remote, like how much, like how much time out of your day, like what like time chunk is spent like just purely zooming or like in meetings due to the fact that everyone is kind of remote during this like transition period that's such a great question zach um jack sorry i don't have my glasses on either so i'm like (laughs) um that's a really great question because i think on a normal situation most of us would be like walking down the hallway and having those quick conversations i do i will say that it really depends on the job that you're doing but I think most people are spending half of their days on Zoom. Even if it's a quick five to 10 minute check-in, you're always like trying to get face-to-face time with someone just to get work done. It has changed the way that people work. It has changed the way that people manage. Um, there's, you know, it's a, everything's really new to, to all of us in terms of like this way of working. Um, but I will guess that most people do spend a majority of their day on Zoom. Um, when they should, you know, in, in a normal situation, they would just like walk down the hallway or, um, yeah. So it's a great question though. And I think there's going to be a lot of studies that will be done during this time in terms of what that looks like and how to manage from afar too. Cause I do manage a team that live actually across the U S right now. So, um, it, it is a, a whole learning experience for everyone. Yeah, does anyone have any other questions? So I guess um, we'll talk about the recruitment process. And I'm going to speak on behalf of like the businesses that I've worked for and also here at Deckers. Um, they're all pretty much, I guess, the same in some ways. Um, so I guess at most brands, when you apply to a role, you're usually doing it via a career site or on LinkedIn, and your application goes into what we call the applicant tracking system or an ATS. Um, And people always, always assume that the ATS will just filter applications and then like the recruiters will just receive the ones that like get filtered through. Does that sound like a, that sounds like something that you've all heard? Um, But being an insider to some of these larger brands, what I can tell you is that we actually read every single application that comes through the ATS um, and review every portfolio too. And I think one of the things that for us makes sense is that an ATS can only do so much. They, it can filter for us in terms of like, I mean, I'm just trying to think of what we filter for. We literally filter for like, nothing because <laughs> we, we have all these questions, you answer these questions, and then you go into the system and we still read it. So, um, and I think that's the same with like my experience over at Nike, over at Adidas, like all the recruiters read every single application. And I can't speak to other industries, but I can tell you that within the footwear industry, within some of the larger brands, like that's how it works for us. Um, and then what will happen after a recruiter receives your application is that we'll read it, We'll look through your portfolio. We might ask other recruiters, like, what are your thoughts on, like, you know, this application? Um, and then we'll move a couple of people forward to the hiring manager. So usually our target is, like, four to seven applicants onto the hiring manager to review, who will then select about, you know, after they talk to, you know, their four to seven candidates, we'll select about two to three that will move on to panel interviews. And then the the overall team will make the decision in what we call a debrief meeting. So there's no singular person that makes that decision, but we do go through an entire process. And then it does come down to like a team um, decision in order to like actually make that finalized decision. So I think what's important about that is that when you're you are applying to roles, it's really important for you to quickly stand out to the recruiter first because they are kind of that gateway. But you will also have to stand out to the hiring manager too in different ways. So 
um, a couple of things that I want to share with you um, and how to make you stand out to the recruiter is I think one of the most important things that we don't share as much is that we actually want you to create your own personal brand. When you we look at you as a candidate, we look at your resume and your portfolio, and we really want to see that you're showing us who you are as a person and that there is some kind of consistency between the two. For many times, we do see a portfolio and a resume that like looks completely different and like a lot of times I'm like, is that, is that the same person? Like their resume can look really great, but their portfolio, like they did put any work into it or vice versa, where their portfolio looks great. And then we look at their resume and we're like, this can't be the same person. Like there's no, no creativity in this or the aesthetics is completely different. So, you know, with those two items, we'd like to see that you're showing us your creativity your aesthetics and your personality within it, and just making sure that it's consistent, that it's one per one brand versus like looking at multiple things. Um, so, a couple of things on our resume. Um, I just, I'm sure you've heard some of these before. I just want to kind of reiterate it. Um, but um, things that stand out to us is that make sure to keep your resume one page. Unless you have over 10 years of experience in your field, please don't make it more than that because this is the most that we'd like to see. Um, we want to see that you're sharing your skills, um, the tools that you know how to use, your experience, and a profile of you as a professional. Um, everything else is fine. Leave it in there, but definitely emphasize these key components within a resume. Definitely share your interests, hobbies, and or activities that you do. Um, our Hoka team, they love it when people are like, I love to trail run, or I love to, you know, do adventures, or I'm really interested in art. Like they're really interested in seeing what people do outside of just their day-to-day -day, um, on the work side or school side. Um, one of the things that is my pet biggest pet peeve is spelling, spelling errors. It's really easy to just hit that spell check. Um, so make sure to check your spelling. Um, and then please include your contact info. So many times do we see resumes come in without contact info. We don't know how to get a hold of you. We probably can't put you forth for a role. So um, super important there. And then add a link to your portfolio. I think it's super important to share, especially for those of you who are designers, to share your portfolio as everywhere. I think for us to be able to easily access it on your LinkedIn, on your resume, um, super, super important to us. And then some of the don'ts that I'm going to share here, and then I'll share some examples that um, might make you laugh a little bit because it made me laugh. Um, don't be overly creative. Um, we see a lot of resumes that are full of graphics and infographics and colors and like all these different font types. It really makes it hard to read. And honestly, like if you just Google it, you can find some pretty ridiculous resumes online. Um, so try not to head this direction. Um, we like it simple, clean, straight to the point, and also just make it you. I'm going to pause for a second if, in case anyone has any questions about the personal brand or resume. I had a quick question about resumes. Yeah. Um, would you like a photo, like a headshot of the person on the resume, or would you like no photo? You know, to be completely honest about that, I think most recruiters would prefer that you don't send a photo in. We are, a lot of our companies are moving towards resume redaction. So it, so what that means is we are trying to not create bias within a resume. So we do, we do have programs that will automatically take out your photo. It will take out like your, your um, name, um, your, the, I guess, years of experiences and things like that. So um, it's almost better if you don't do it, it creates less bias for the recruiters. Thank you. That was great insight. Mm -hmm. Can you go over like what a good professional profile looks like? Because I don't think I've heard that term too much before. Yeah. So a professional profile, and I'm looking at these three really interesting resumes. Um, 
I think what we're looking for is it talks about who you are as a professional. So it would say something like, um, you know, aspiring uh, footwear designer with um, multiple internship experiences um, in, you know, at this place, this place, this place, or um, is a, is very proficient in um, these different tools. So it just like, it's a, a really quick summary of who you are as a professional that relates to the job that you're applying to. So if you, I should have put an example in, I'm sorry. Um, if you Google it, it actually kind of, there are ways that you can, it, it's, I guess there's ways that you can like summarize you in a nutshell in three to four sentences that really allows the recruiters to read it and be like, yep, that person we definitely want to move forward with them even before they look at everything on your actual resume. So it includes like things that you might've done, things that you're aspiring to do, especially if you're looking at internships, um, tools that you are proficient in. It includes maybe a couple of your interests. It just kind of summarizes who you are really quickly. Amy, is that something you could use like on your LinkedIn bio as well? Yes. Like, that varies like something you'd use in that situation too. Yeah. And consistency is everything, right? Like with your personal brand. So if you're including that on your resume, definitely include it on your LinkedIn too. I have a question. Mm-hmm. Um, when you say include your hobbies, are you talking about like actually on your resume or is that something you do in a cover letter? Letter. I would just, to be honest, use it on your resume, like put a little section, like maybe at the end or on the side, you know, it doesn't have, you don't have to highlight it, but it's always great to, to see people's hobbies. Sometimes you see like the most interesting things and you're like, for recruiters, we're like, we actually just want to talk to them because they have this really interesting hobby that we're really curious about. And they also have a great background. So um, it's, it's always nice to see that you're human and that you're just not another resume too. I would not put it as like a highlight, but definitely use it as like just a, another, um, you know, just something to add to it, like a little pizzazz to it. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Amy, I've got another question that's, I feel like has come up before and I'm not sure where I stand on it or what the consensus is in the industry, but Sometimes when you when you're talking about like technical skills, like um, with certain software, I've seen some people use like bar graphs to show, oh, this is my proficiency in a certain type of software. Um, does that mean anything to you when you look at one of those graphs and you know that's like almost all the way full and and shows that you know the person saying that they're very proficient in a certain software, but it doesn't. Does that really mean anything to you when you read something like that? I'm so happy you brought that up because I actually just got together with a couple of recruiters um, last week and we were talking about that. And we're like, it doesn't mean anything to us really. Like if your bar graph is like this you know, long and you're here, it, does, it doesn't mean anything to us in terms of how proficient you are at it. If you are proficient, just add it to your um, resume as a skill that you know, and you can add like your proficiency level too. Like, you know, maybe you can add that as like most proficient, maybe like I'm still a beginner at this piece. Like it to us, like having those bar graphs, like doesn't really, it doesn't resonate for us at all. But I like that you brought it up because we do see it quite often. Any other questions before we talk a little bit about, oh yeah, go ahead. Um, you mentioned, or someone mentioned LinkedIn a minute ago, like how often are you guys checking LinkedIn profiles and at what stage of the process? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I think it depends. So if we are looking for you, so if we're looking for a very specific skill set, or we're looking for someone who has done, you know, this job at this maybe at these different businesses, we're, we're out there looking for you. So we, we might be the one that actually have searched you first for you first. And then for others, we do sometimes we'll look at LinkedIn if we 
maybe didn't get all the information on your resume. So like location, for instance, maybe someone didn't add their location on their resume and that's totally fine. That's not a requirement, but um, if we have a role that's in a state that we can only hire in that state, we'll look at your LinkedIn to, to see if you're there um, or to see if you're in a state that maybe you're close enough to, to be able to move or something like that. But um, I think that most, I will say most hiring managers will probably be looking you up before the interview. So, um, which I'll talk a little bit more about LinkedIn in a, the next couple of slides here um, and give you kind of like the, the whole detail on <laughs> what we're looking for there. Does that work? Yeah, that was great. Thank you. Awesome. I did have one question. Um, yeah. You kind of brought up like moving your, like moving it to another state for like a new position. Mm -hmm. And with us all being like either in college or like looking for those entry level roles and having a lot of like flexibility, like how often does like, location come into play um during the hiring process i mean does it depend on the role or does it depend on like how willing the individual is to make that move with a position like i was i think that's like an interesting thing to learn a bit about a little bit more about yeah so for for every role that's posted you'll see where the the role is located or if it can be remote so if it is a role that is in a specific location if you do talk to a recruiter they will ask you if you are open and willing to move and willing to move to that location. Um, and then for roles that are remote, obviously you can work from wherever. Um, if the there's a thing called Nexus, which um, I, you'll hear this more and more as you start looking for jobs, but with Nexus, it allows um, people to work remotely from any state, regardless of where their corporate headquarters is. But for some states, um, the company doesn't want to invest in like tax and legal in those states. So then you can't work out of there. So an example for us is like North Dakota. Like if you live in North Dakota, there's a pretty good chance it will ask you to move to a state that has nexus or move to, to one of our headquarters or hubs. Um, but other than that, um, if people are flexible, you, that's also a thing too, that we have seen more and more people on their resume put flexible um, with locations. So that just allows us to know that you're willing to move. Um, and then that's also a thing with LinkedIn too. If you do put that you're looking for roles, you can put locations that you're willing to move to and recruiters are able to see that. Awesome. All right. I will quickly talk about portfolios and then we'll go to LinkedIn. I'm like going to end on LinkedIn because there's a lot of details that, that I want to talk about there. Um, but with your portfolio, um, there's a couple of things that I, I've been working in the creative space for the last couple of years. And these are kind of the, the things that have come up over and over again with hiring managers looking at creative portfolios. Um, and one of the biggest thing is making sure to include your entire process on a couple of projects. Um, I'm sure you've heard this before, but I'm going to reiterate it because it's so important. When we look at a portfolio, obviously we want to see beautiful things on there, but we also want to see that you can share the problem. How do you solve it? What is the solution and what are the outcomes of this? Um, we want to see exploration. We want to see that you are coming up with different solutions to a problem. Um, we want to see that you failed. Like those are things that we all want to see. Um, and the, I guess the other part to it is like with visual um, problems that you can show, we also want you to share in, in words like the collaboration and the ownership of these different projects that you're working on. So even if it's just a little snippet of like, you know, I worked on this part, you know, I was part of a team that worked on this. It, it just allows us to know like where you're working as a team and then where you're really taking ownership of like a project. Um, and then one of the things that it, it was, it came up in a, in, in, in an internship um, meeting not too long ago, but one of the hiring managers was like, you know what, like best way to say it is like, I just want someone to tell me a story. There needs to be a beginning, a middle and an end to it. 
So, um, and I thought that was really interesting because when we look at someone's portfolio in and look at certain projects, we do want to see that. We want to see that there's a beginning. So there's a problem that they're trying to solve. We want to see that there's this like long middle piece. And then we want to see what the end is and what the actual beautiful results are. Or maybe it's not beautiful. Maybe it's it's still messy, but you know, we want to see all of that. Um, and just make it interesting and make it you. Um, and then the second part to this is definitely include personal projects. We want to see that you do art and photography and maybe like, maybe you do sculpting. We wanna see all of that. I think it's really important for us to see you as a you know, holistic person versus just here are some beautiful projects that I've worked on and, and here are the results to it. So, um, so those are some of the key things that I just wanted to highlight because I know that you know, there are websites that help you put together beautiful portfolios and they're, you know, you can make it look really good, but um, we want to see kind of the nitty gritty of it. So does anyone have questions on this site? I, I want to say that most universities do a really good job with like honing in on everyone should have a portfolio. And I do agree on that. I think that a portfolio shows way more than just your resume does. Um, so anything that I can answer on the portfolio piece Right. I, I have a question. Oh, go ahead, Mark. Yeah. Um, I think sometimes I kind of hear conflicting viewpoints, and I think it just there are a lot of viewpoints out there in terms of portfolio. Like one thing that I've been told in the past is have like the hero shots up front that show the beautiful projects, and then maybe a little bit about the process. But it's good to hear that. Um, some recruiters like yourself really want to see the process and how we solve problems and work towards solutions. So should, should we kind of balance both maybe? Yeah. And I think the, the key point to this is you don't have to do it on every project. You can show those, you know, the beautiful final results on some of your um, portfolio projects, but on some of, you know, pick a couple of them that you're proud of, of the process, and maybe pick a couple that might have been really challenging and talking about some of those challenges. Because we, I think what your portfolio shows is how you work and how you think mm -hmm. and how you work with others. Um, it shows so much in such a small space. Um, and it allows us to get to know you more personally in your, your, your process than, um, but I, I, I do agree. Like you don't have to show it on every single project though. Um, I would okay. just pick some key ones. Okay. We also Thanks. do love the beautiful, you know, end results uh, also. Mm -hmm. And Chase, I think you had a question too. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts on, you know, portfolios are typically associated with design. Um, we've had others say that developers should have a portfolio as well, but what do you like to see from PLMs and developers outside of a resume to showcase their skill sets? Yeah. And I, you know, we don't require it for, for PLMs or PDs. Um, but I think that for some people who really want to share like visually what they've worked on, I think that's great. I, we will always look at it. If there's a portfolio link um, to your resume, or if you've uploaded a portfolio, we like are we're actually really happy to look at it because it's so different from staring at a resume over and over again. But um, for anyone outside of design, I, I mean, I think you should share like really fun projects that you've worked on or anything that's visual that's that can really allow us to just look uh, away from just words would also be fun for us. So um, I, yeah, I always think that I think anyone can have a portfolio, um, but it's most important for design for us. Um, but we are seeing the trend that more and more PLMs and more and more PDs are bringing portfolios to the, um, the application process. We've got, thank you for that. We've got a, a question in the chat. How many projects um, is too much? Like how many do you like <laughs> to see in a portfolio? That's a really, really good question. So, my thought to that is if we open up your 
your portfolio on, especially on a website, if we can see all of it on one screen, that's great. If it's, if it takes up, you know, with all those like tiles, if it takes up more than a screen, I would probably avoid it. Um, it's, you're not going to find too many hiring managers, especially that will scroll down. They will pick whatever is your top few. So if you, the more you have, the less they're going to look at, they're just going to pick those top three. If you do have like maybe six or seven projects, they might look at all of them. So if it's just visually, how, how does that grab someone's attention is probably the best way to put it. Kind of going along with that, you were talking about uh, sharing maybe some of our photography or our things like that. How would you like to see things that maybe aren't necessarily a design process or project uh, still on a portfolio, but being separated from our typical projects and stuff that you're looking at? Yeah, I, I think you cut out at the end there, but I think I got most of it. But how, you know, how to share other things outside of just like art and design. Um, I would just put like a, you know, a hobbies or miscellaneous like bucket and just add things, but also talk about them. Um, I know that people just like add like visuals of things that they do, but I think it's great to always like explain what it is and why it like, why it's a part of your life. Did I answer that Seth? Yeah. Okay. Awesome. <laughs> And I know we only have a couple minutes left, so let me go through the rest of this and then we can um, talk about, or we could just leave some room at the end for any questions. So Chase and I talked about like connecting um, and you know, how do you connect with people in the industry um, and how do, you, how do you reach out to them um, and hope that they respond to you? So I, I came up with a couple of things. Um, it's just to start off with, like with LinkedIn, like I think it's really important for everyone to update their LinkedIn every, I don't know, every couple of months. Like if you're working on different projects or you learn a new skill set or, you know, your job title change or anything like that, go on a LinkedIn and update that. Because I, I do think that LinkedIn should be more in real time, whereas your resume, you're probably not going to update it until you're ready to look for an, a job or a new job or an internship. So um, I would say make sure to update your LinkedIn profile whenever something new comes up, but especially when you update your resume. Um, I read that somewhere that like 66% of recruiters do find people on LinkedIn. So um, to answer, someone did ask that question. It, it's it is a big part of like how recruiters find you and um, get to know you. So if you want to be found, make sure to keep it up to date. Um, make sure to always include that link to your portfolio too, for those of you who do have a portfolio, because we will always kind of look for it, especially like if we see a designer and we don't see a portfolio on LinkedIn, it's always a little bit like, I don't know, almost like a letdown, like, oh, how are we going to see your work? Like, we know what you're doing, but we'd love to see your work. So, um, and then how to connect with people. Um, I would say that there's a couple of ways to do it. Um, I definitely would recommend connecting with all the people who present in your class. Reach out to us if you have questions, but also reach out to us if there's people that you might have found on LinkedIn that you might want an intro to. Like if we know them, we are more than happy to make introductions. Um, there are times when people just connect with us on LinkedIn, we don't know them. So we'll be very honest with whether or not we can, you know, personally connect you with them. Um, and then for you to do the, the outreach, definitely reach out to people in your area of business who's doing something that you're interested in um, or they design products that you admire, or if you find similarities and have some connection to them, um, definitely, you know, send them a quick connect. Um, within that connect, I would recommend sending them a note. Um, and you, I guess, like, I receive a lot of messages on LinkedIn. And a lot of times people like explain everything. They send like these like eight paragraph, like, messages about like who they are, where they grew up, like what their dog's name is. I also honestly don't really need to know all that. Like what I want to know is like, why did you connect with me? And who are you? And I think those are the two things. If you're like, you connect with, um, 
one of our footwear designers and you're like, Hey, like I saw your profile on Hypebeast. Like I, you know, I really like that project that you did. I'm also, you know, um, working on something similar in my, one of my classes. Um, would you mind, you know, would you mind looking at it? I mean, that's straight to the point that allows them to know that like, you know, who they are, you know, what they worked on and that, maybe they can help you with something. Um, and I think if the more that you can get straight to the point, um, I think people really enjoy that because we're all so busy. We're getting probably more emails now than ever with COVID and working remotely. So, um, and then lastly, if you're a designer, share your portfolio. Um, I think that's always really important is that if you're reaching out to a designer, definitely share your portfolio so that they can see your work before they you know, reach back out and set up some time to meet with you. But again, just be mindful of how busy people are. If they're not getting back to you immediately, it doesn't mean that they're not going to get back to you. It's just, you know, we're all trying to do our best with like all the different platforms um, that exist right now. So, um, but the simpler your note, the more straight to the point, you'll definitely, I'm going to guarantee you're going to get a lot more responses from that. So that's pretty much all I have, um, but I would love to answer any other questions. Um, and this has been such a pleasure. I haven't done one of these for a while, so I'm sorry I'm a little like <laughs> out of, I don't know, like it's, it's always fun. It's just um, with COVID, we just don't get to do a lot of presentations anymore. So thank you for the invite. Yeah, and it looks like we have about eight minutes. So we've yeah. got time for a few questions. Awesome. Oh, and now I get to see everyone. Yeah, and you can scroll if you want to see, you know, more than the six people there. So. <laughs> I actually have like a whole collage now. It's awesome. Okay. Nice to see everyone. Yeah, any other questions that I can answer for you with, you know, the footwear industry or recruiting or anything that you're nervous about that I can maybe help, you know, alleviate any of those. I had a quick question on like the variety of pieces in our portfolio. Like if we're applying for a footwear job, yep. do you only want to see shoes in our design portfolio? Nope. Okay. So you want to yep. see uh, lots of different things. We do. If, if you are looking for a footwear job, I would include probably more footwear focused projects than not, but we definitely want to see a variety um, most footwear designers don't come from footwear. So um, we're able to kind of look at a portfolio and be able to see what you can bring with the different, with other projects that are outside of our industry too. Great. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. Anyone else? Um, so when it comes to um, recruiting for, for your companies, um, so that because there's so many different companies under Decker, um, would somebody apply to Decker and then kind of be assigned to a specific team or they apply to that team and then? Yeah. So when you go onto our career site, it will list um, which business it belongs to. So um, you'll see Hoka and you'll see UGG. Um, and that's the same with LinkedIn. If you're looking at jobs on LinkedIn, like you'll see all the positions with Hoka and you'll see all the positions with UGG or Teba. Um, but Deckers is just, it's just a, a parent company. So we try, we use it as like, like I use it because I work for the, for Deckers as a whole. But if someone does work for Hoka, they're only working for Hoka. Yeah. It's, it's always confusing, but there's a lot of, um, and I'm sure you all know that, but there's a lot of parent companies out there, VF being probably one of the larger ones, um, and then Deckers, and we have a couple of others that, you know, we don't even call ourselves competitors because we're all so different, um, and our portfolios are very different. So um, if you do apply to a parent company, um, more than likely, you will apply to the job for the specific brand that you're looking at. Okay, that makes sense. Thank you. Mm -hmm. 
I had a question specifically about your designers and their work. I know traditionally in the footwear industry, uh, most designers were sketch artists and would draw shoes. So how do your designers work today? Do they work a lot in 3D work? Do they work a lot on hands-on? What are the things that they do at Decker Brands? Yeah, it really depends on the brand itself, though. So we'll just, you know, I'll, I'll talk about UGG and Hoka since there are two big ones. With, with UGG, they're a little bit more traditional. They love sketches. They love seeing the fact that people, you know, can design by hand. Um, and then on the Hoka side, we are moving towards a lot more 3D design, more digital. So um, it really depends, but we love to see the mixture between the two, regardless of which brand you apply to. Um, I think it's great that people have like, you know, they might not be an expert in all those, but just having a little bit of knowledge in each piece of it is really great to be able to work with different designers too. Um, Cause you know, we, even within Hoka, we have many designers that they're very like, hands-on they love to like sketch um and then we have some that are like no <laughs> like that is there's a that's the final answer for some of them so um yeah it, it really just depends thank you we've got a question um in the chat um what input or advice do you have um about for cover letters how do you feel about cover letters what makes a good one um, are they oh, required oh no I think I'm going to get in trouble for answering this one. Um, I, oh gosh, I'm going to admit this and I know it's recorded and I'm sure I'm going to get in trouble, but I read like one out of like a hundred cover letters maybe. So it's unless a company requires it, the cover letter doesn't really get read by many people. I think the only thing with a cover letter is that you can make one that's really generic and you can apply it to mo multiple places. And all you need to really include on there is like maybe your portfolio and a couple of like interesting facts about you. But unless they ask for it, most people don't look at it. Like I don't, yeah, I, I, I'm just trying to think of like all my colleagues. I don't think I think some of them don't even know what a cover letter is at this point. So, um, yeah, you just have to be careful in an application process. Like some of them will say, please, you know, please attach your cover letter. If they don't say that, there's no requirement for you to attach it. It doesn't like dock points off of your applicant or application. Um, so great question. Um, but unless we ask for it, I would just say, I spend more of your time working on your portfolio and resume than to focus on the cover letter. Sorry if I get anyone um, in trouble or if I get in trouble for <laughs> saying that. But. Um, I have a question. So what about like references? Like do you guys like call our references or do you even look at those? So it depends on the hiring manager themselves. Um, Every business that I've worked at, it's just really dependent on the hiring manager. So if they have any concerns, they might do it. Or if they traditionally they've done it, then we'll, we'll request it. But um, we'll give you a heads up first every time. So, yeah. Okay, thank you. Yeah, of course. You don't have to also, in, I think a lot of people think that they need to include it in a, a application process unless they ask for it again you don't need to include it. We, it's one of those documents that we'll just kind of set aside unless it's needed. I have a question about experience. Sometimes it's a little discouraging, you know, when I'm looking at uh, an apparel design position and it says must have three to five years or two to three years experience. How often when you're looking at candidates for a job, can you kind of look at other things they've done that's kind of similar to build experience or is it just like a hard line if they don't have the minimum number of years they're not considered no i i would the number of years of experience is it's there so that we can it, i guess the best way to put it is like hr uses that to kind of like level our positions but in terms of applying to a job 
to be honest with design, if you have the the work to show and to share with us and that you have experience in some area that could transfer to that or translate to that. Um, I think that's way more important to us than the years of experience. I think the only time when the years of experience gets to be a little more um, critical for us is like, like a, a senior director or a VP mm-hmm. level. Like we definitely want them to have like 10 plus years of experience, but anything under that, we we're not too concerned about it. Um, I would say that when you're applying to jobs, you know, look at titles too. If you're applying to an entry level or a mid-level position, like they all have very similar titles. So if you see like assistant, associate, or just like a, a, just a straight designer role, like you're probably in the right ballpark. Um, And if it's, and for a lot of companies too, like if we find someone we really like, we can always make it work out too. So apply to the job. Um, If it sounds like something that you can do and you have relevant experience, Mm -hmm. I would say just apply. Okay, thank you. Mm-hmm. It looks like we're at the end of our class period. So Amy, thank you so much for taking the time. This was super valuable. You're our first uh, representative from like HR and recruiting. We've had a lot of designers, developers, PLM. So I think this was really helpful to get your perspective from recruitment. So thanks for I, taking time. Of course, this has been really great. And yeah, let me know if I can help out in any other way. Is there a way if, if people wanted to get in touch with you? I know you're getting LinkedIn messages all the time, but if, is there a way for people to get in touch with you if, you if they have further questions? Yeah, send me an email and I'll put it. I actually know how to use the chat here, so I'll send it in the chat. Feel free to email me if you have questions and um, I'll be looking at my emails. LinkedIn has been kind of, um, I don't know, neglected lately. It's just been kind of a crazy few weeks. <laughs> Well, great. Thank you for sharing that. And thanks everyone for being here. Appreciate it. Amy, thanks for taking time. Thank you. Have a great weekend. Thanks everyone. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Highlander podcast. For more conversations with outdoor leaders, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, watch episodes on the Outdoor Product Design and Development YouTube channel, or on opdd.usu.edu slash podcast. Follow along on Instagram at USU Outdoor Product and let us know how you're enjoying the show.